Powerful Word of God can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, look at your neighbor and say, man, you never look better. Thanks for letting Maria go with us, Mom. She was a she was a lifesaver. Had to keep had to fight the boys off of her, but other than that, she was all right. Look at her shake her head. She did get to meet one of her professors next year, so she was putting in brownie points. Boy, she was taking notes in front of him and everything. He didn't know she was doodling. He didn't need to know that, you know. So. Michael DeFazio. Some of you might remember Chris DeFazio. He was our summer intern a few years ago. It's his brother. He's now a professor at Ozark Christian College. It was great to hear Michael speak and uh, get a chance to know him. And uh, it was a great week. Just a great week all the way around. We continue in our series, Jesus' Most Confounding Statements. I've enjoyed this series. It's, uh, it's really challenged me to think uh, and to study and to think some more. Because sometimes what you think the Bible might say, yeah, you know, what you've thought it said for years, it's good to think and hear other people say it and then begin to challenge that with your own processing. Make sure that you're right on target. But they may bring in a nugget or two that will help. And that's what I'm discovering as I'm doing this series. It's, it's just been fun for me. Church is an interesting place. It's a place where the roles that are played on Sunday are very important roles. There's the roles of gathering together as a community, and then there's roles in church of gathering with smaller groups of people to do study and to, to learn. Uh, a CIY conference is like that. You get a chance to be in a setting. Of course, it's hard to say it's a small group when there's 1,600 of us in, a, in an auditorium. But... Uh, Within that 1,600 are clustered groups, smaller groups. Uh, it was fun to watch our seating chart because they would carve it out, little 10, ten chairs they'd carve out somewhere. And uh, sometimes we were sitting around big, large groups, and uh, they would be very kind and gracious, and they would reserve our 10 seats. And that was nice that we could always uh, be a part of that and uh, didn't have to be swallowed up by the bigger, bigger churches. But all the roles that we might participate in in church are useless and make no sense unless we have the knowledge of who we are, who Jesus calls us to be. He's called all of us to be disciples. And in Luke 14, 12-25, there's a great description. Verse 26 is our key verse that we'll focus in on in just a a, a moment. But in this chapter, Luke 14, Jesus explains what it means to follow Him, to be His disciple. And I think we've lost track of that. He's very straightforward when He confronts costly excuses with costly grace and for costly discipleship. We'll take a good look at each of those, but before we do, I want to challenge you to not make this sermon about somebody else, somebody else's comfort or 
somebody else's cost. I want you to make this sermon about you. Not you. Where are you? What a great question for Geneva to ask Tegan about what made you feel freer to worship at that setting than did you do in your own home church. And did you get her answer? She says the environment. It's the environment. Sometimes we're too stoic. Sometimes we're too reserved. Now, I'm not saying just be belligerent and jump and hoop and holler and scream and run against the wall. I'm not talking about that at all. But I am talking about just, just having the freedom to, if you feel like it, to raise your hand or to say amen or just to cry or whatever it is. You know, you just never know how God's going to touch you, how the Holy Spirit's going to prompt you and prick you. But He can't do any of that if we're not tuned in. Amen? So be tuned in. So Christ is here. He wants to speak to you. So what are some of the costly excuses that we face when we begin to understand what it means to be a disciple of Christ? Jesus tells those that He's sitting with how to really throw a party. That's how He starts out the the story. Not inviting so that they would be invited back. Giving preference to the marginalized in verses 13 to 14. In verse 15, a religious, a religious leader says, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. To which Jesus says, But, but, then he tells a, ter- a parable. And that's where the challenge in this religious person's statement rises. It looks pretty traditional. Everyone who eats in the kingdom of God will be happy. But it's not what he says that's wrong. It's what he assumes. He assumes that there's a place in the kingdom of God for everybody. But just because you're religious, because you go to church, because you carry a title, because you volunteered at one time, and you sit with Jesus at dinner does not mean that you'll sit with Him in the kingdom of God. So Jesus picks up on this smug self-righteousness and traditionalism. And He says, now that you mention it, let me tell you what it costs to eat bread in the kingdom. It's going to cost your excuses. And then He tells a kingdom parable about a great banquet. Preparations are set, invitations sent. But the excuses begin. Look at verse 18. First, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. So the great banquet ever is set. You can't come because you bought a field. Is that what I'm supposed to understand? So in other words, your possessions are much more important. can't go to church because I've got a new house, a new car, new furniture, new computer. And i got to stay home and look at them. Really? You found out how important all that stuff is when you had no power. My wife couldn't even get in our house. And you say, well, why didn't she use the key? She doesn't have a key. She doesn't have a need a key. She opens the garage door and she sat there for hours saying, come on, come on, come on. Nope, she said she sat in her car and ate her uh, Coney Island or hot dog. And all the while our little dog's inside trying to figure out what's going on. But thank God somebody came by and broke in my house and got my wife in there. So that was awesome. Possessions. God 
Is He the supplier of all things that we have? All things? Is He really our supplier? He's invited us to a banquet. And we can't go because there's a new toy that I bought? I mean, I've got a boat. I can't use the boat except on the weekend. So I'm going to go up on Saturday. I'm going to spend the night. Then I'm going to go on the boat on Sunday. It's at the lake. Let's do it. It's a boat. It's new. I gotta go, gotta go, gotta go. Ain't got time for church. Oh yeah, I can worship God on the lake. Wrong. We studied that this week in the book of Ephesians. You can't worship Him and serve Him and be a part of Him if you're not in a collective group of people gathered together to praise Him and worship Him. And I doubt very seriously there's very many people on the lake who are going to stop at some point in their time on the lake and have some type of worship service. I just doubt that very serious. Second excuse, verse 19. I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. So, I mean, that's a considerable purchase. Two oxen were required for 50 acres and the average landowner... Uh, that's what the average landowner had. So five oxen total 250 acres. So this guy had a big lot. I mean, he had a lot of a lot of land to work. It's a big deal. But it's his livelihood. It's his job. You might say, well, I, you know, I'm launching a new website. I'm closing a big deal. I got a new job. I just can't make it to Bible study. I can't make it to small groups. I can't get there. I can't serve the poor. I can't feast with Jesus in meditation and prayer. You can see. The oxen any time, folks. But you're going to give work priority over Christ and His kingdom? I've never yet met a man whose kids didn't love him anymore who said, gosh, if I'd have just worked an extra hour, it would have made all the difference. If I just would have stayed at work longer, it would have made a difference. And the way my kids are. You see, the buyer's excuse is that he needs to examine the oxen the last excuse was to see the field. Now it's more intense. He must look, take a closer look. I mean, this pull is strong. This job is urgent. His heart is enthralled with work, but not the work of Christ. But the problem isn't the demand of work. It's the disoriented heart. The disobedient, disordered heart. Then the final excuse, verse 20, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. <laughs> Family. How many times have you told me over the years? Now, I've been there a long time, and so you've told me. I won't call you out by name, but you've told me. Family is in town. I can't come to church. And why can't you come to church? Because your family's in town? Because they don't want to come to church. And they're leaving at 11 o'clock today, right in the middle of church. So what you do is you go ahead and say the goodbyes. You walk out the door. You come to church. They're going to leave anyway. Well, that's kind of rude, preacher. That could be. They don't have any problem walking, making you skip church while they hang around, eat your food, leave dirty clothes for you to wash. Family, relationships. I'm a, I'm a newlywed preacher, so I, I, I just don't have time to worship God or participate actively in the church community. I'm dating. I need to prioritize him or her in my life. I have a new baby. Our schedule is really important. We keep them on schedule. In your nursery at church, dirty anyway. I don't want to go in there. 
mean, you just can't get away. You just can't break away or, or bring these relationships into the most epic banquet ever Jesus is offering them to come to. It's an invitation to the Academy Awards. I suspect if you got one of those invitations, you'd drop everything and make sure you were there. So you could rub shoulders with the big guys on the red carpet. Or if you were given a ticket to see, you fill in that blank. Whoever it is that's so important to you that you could, man, you would just die to see them. Suddenly you'd reschedule everything to be able to accomplish that. But the king of creation, throwing an epic party. Nah, I don't have time for that. I'm not sure I can rearrange my schedule for that. VBS, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Yeah, I know she keeps saying she needs workers. Yeah, I know that, but I'm just too busy. I'm too busy to stand here for two hours with these knothead kids. I got it. I got it. But does God get it? Because what about one of these kids who hears the, the message of Christ for that very first time, or that kiddo that really gets it finally? What if they're not here, and what if they don't have somebody helping them? Somebody's going to have to get it to them. I was one of the oldest people at CIY this year. Isn't that fun? There was another guy older than me. He was 62. I'm 61. But he looked 62. I mean, he really did. He did. Cindy said, they, they did, and they, boy, they just heaped praise on that guy. I thought, I'm 61. I'm close enough to this guy. Come on. Cindy said, well, it was because you're, you're so young looking. They, they just didn't think you were 61. Well, I'll take that. Okay, I'll go with it. Maybe because they saw me walk up the steps at breakfast and got through at dinner. It was great, though. <laughs> but you see, there will always be relationship demands, won't there? There will always be those. And if, if never denied will result in distance from the most important relationship of all, we've got to understand that something's going to get in the way, but you've got to make sure that your relationship with God is of paramount importance. Wouldn't it be great if your family knew that you were going to go to church and they would say to you, Hey, I know this is church time for you. Listen, we're going to be, we're going to be heading out about 11, but let's get our visiting in this morning for breakfast. And, you know, and, and maybe you go to Sunday school, but hey, could we at least skip that so you didn't miss church? And, boy, we'd be glad. Wouldn't that be great? Well, they could do that. You can do that if you would just do that. There's always something. But we dig our heels in. It comes to family. We said, I just can't come. Really, the question is, cannot or will not? And Jesus paints a progressive, gradual descent into a banquet of idolatry, prizing possessions, prizing work, prizing family above the chief reward, and that's to spend time with the Master at the kingdom banquet. Ordinary loves have become extraordinary idols. A disordered heart, Master isn't indifferent, He's angry, and he should be. Think of how upset you've been when you throw a party and nobody showed up, or very few showed up. It bothered you. You spent money, you spent time, you put effort into this, and they didn't care enough to even call and tell you, or they didn't even care enough to show up. There are costly excuses. They harden their heart and they cost you the banquet of heaven. Jesus says in verse 24, For I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste my banquet. He doesn't move the date or change the invite. 
The party's coming, and only the willing will attend. Costly excuses can cost you everything. Then what about costly discipleship? That's where we're going to get into our verse. In consumer Christianity, we're tempted to soften the consequences. Jesus doesn't really mean we won't be in the kingdom if we prioritize possessions, work, and family. He doesn't mean that if we just prioritize it. Or does He? Jesus is very serious here. So much so, He says, none of these will even taste His banquet. Consumer Christianity cheapens discipleship by selling tickets to heaven, but true Christianity charges full price to spend time with Christ. I said last week, this place should be, every seat should be full. I don't care that it's summer. Every seat should be full here. Did you go out and bring somebody with you? Did you show up to do it? Or did you just hope that it would happen? Well, I just don't know anybody. They all go to other churches. Find somebody that doesn't go to church. I don't like hanging around those kind of people. Well, then you need to. Shame on you. When you when you buy something at a store, ask the person taking your money if they go to church anywhere. Invite them. Geneva invited somebody who rolled her out in a wheelchair. <laughs> Invite them to come to church. And the guy actually said he's going to give it a shot. How about that? Okay, he may be a liar, but we're going to... Hey, she asked. That's all God ever asked you and me to do is to ask. We're inviting to the banquet. Jesus turns to the crowd in verse 26, and here it comes. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he can't be my disciple. Boy, there's the tough one. There's that confounding statement. You ever wrestled with that one? You mean I'm supposed to hate my mother, my brother, my father, my sister? That's what it says. Hate them. Hate them. Well, you can get together at a family reunion and you realize how much you hate them. Some of them. Some of them, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I've got a brother. I've got a brother. You've met him, John. Ten minutes, I'm good. I'm done. Ten minutes, I'm good with John. I have a brother just above him still living, Jimmy. Three minutes, I'm good with Jim. Three He's a man of few words. He doesn't have much to say. How you doing? Okay. Good? Everything okay? Yeah, okay. I'll see you. Click. He hangs up. Had, on my birthday, he called and said, I heard you had a birthday. I said, yeah, I did. He said, how old are you? I said, 61. He goes, okay, I'm older than you. Catch you later. Click. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, praise God. Well, that's just kind of where our family is. You know, maybe yours is similar to that. But you got to hate them. Is that what he means? Actually, he's laying down three layers of cost. He's laying down the cost of family, of self, and the cross. And this hate isn't contagious, but it's meant to be instinctive. It's a hatred of comparison. Comparison to what? To our love for Christ. When push comes to shove, we have to choose Christ over family. Push to shove Christ over family. Happens all the time in non-Christian cultures. If we love our new family in Christ, we will remind them of the words of the host, 
difficult, costly things like don't be unequally yoked, flee youthful lusts, man was made for the Sabbath, the gospel for the poor. These are tough things to remind people about. But it's important to remind them. Why? Because we're better. Or are we? Really, the answer is because Christ is better. Better than the attention of a guy or the thrill of porn or the significance of work or the love of a friend or the comfort of the city. And our reluctance to do that is embedded in the second cost, which is hate yourself. Now this cost is very off-putting in a satisfying culture in a culture that says love yourself first. We live that way, don't we? I'm going to make sure I'm okay before I deal with you. Even though the Bible says love your neighbor as yourself, I don't think so. (laughs) I'm not going to love this guy over here. I mean, after all, his trees fell and tore up my fence. So why do I have to pay for my fence? Well, he offered to pay for it. But that isn't right. I mean, it was his tree. Okay. I'll just put a little fence up. No big deal. And it's not. But the hedge bush he tore up when it fell. Now, that's a whole different story. Nah, who cares? Cindy didn't like the hedge bush anyway. Maybe it'll die and we'll pull it up. I don't know. Who knows? One less thing to trim. Amen? To love yourself, the culture we live in, is a love yourself culture. Man, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. You see these people rioting. They shut down bridges. They shut, shut down streets. Really? Just loving yourself. Uh, the one in Memphis was really, really bothered me because there was an ambulance with a kid in the ambulance trying to get to the hospital. It couldn't go anywhere. And nobody cared. Baton Rouge. There you go. There you go. Evil is good and good is evil. Tell you what, living in some crazy times. If you don't have the Lord, you're nuts. (laughs) But He's called us to the banquet. Are you going to come? Are you going to find a reason not to come? Hey, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you do it with love, right? I heard somebody tell me the reason that homosexuals is such a big deal is because they can't get married. No, it's such a big deal because God said it was a big deal. If homosexuality is okay in God's eyes according to what they tell me in that culture, then what they're saying to me is that God needs to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah for the urban renewal plan that He placed on those two cities. It's not okay. It never has been okay. No sin is okay with God. Not only that sin. What about sin of lust? What about adultery? What about lying? What about disobedience to parents? Well, that gets the kids every time. It says in Ephesians, Paul says, or in Galatians, that if you're disobedient to your parents, you're not going to heaven. Most of us aren't going to make it then, are we? If it would have stopped there, thank God for the cross. Amen. Thank God for the cross. That's the only way we get to go, by the way. Just do what you love. It'll be okay. Well, the addicts love drugs. Is that okay? Prostitute loves sex. Is that okay? 
ruined many a life over those things. Each of these needed to hate, not love, something about themselves. But the solution isn't to love yourself or to do what you love because self is actually part of the problem. St. Augustine describes sin as curving in on yourself. We're supposed to shine our lights in this dark world, aren't we? But what we do is we turn the light on ourselves. So what did St. Augustine mean? He says that your love terminates on self, not on God. It does not work. We were made for another world. We're not supposed to want to love here and stay here and be here. We're supposed to be ready to go to another place. Amen? So we're supposed to go. Leave as though, live as though I'm leaving here today. Woo! Yes, sir. person that sees just as we are doesn't paper over our faults or blow smoke. And loves us still. Love God and you gain the kingdom. Love yourself and you lose the kingdom. Then the third cost is the cross in verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What does it mean to take up your cross? In the Roman Empire, criminals carried a cross to their execution as a public expression of their submission to the state of Rome. Law was broken, but order has been restored. So when we take up our cross, we submit to God's kingdom. When the authorities say you can't do that anymore, and you do it because God said to do it, then you're going to pay a price from the governing authorities, but you're going to be in blessed position with God. So when they come in and say, Harold, you can't preach anymore this topic from the Bible. Sorry. (laughs) Take me now. Because I won't shut up. We're going to do, uh, in a, in next Sunday night, uh, we're going to have our park night down here at the park. I hope it's not too hot. Because the last time I filled out the form for us to use the park, I got a call from the city and they said, so what do you mean on your sheet by it says church activity? I said, well, we get together and we cook out and we eat and fellowship. Oh, okay. Because if it was a worship service of some kind, you know there's the separation of church and state. We might have to, we might have to uh, stop that. I paused a long time because I really wanted to just say, you know, I'll be right over. If I could hold my city councilman, I wanted to know, when did the city set this as a policy? And he was dumbfounded, or he was a politician, just acted like he was dumbfounded. And next Sunday night, we're going to take the portable PA system, and we're going to crank it. We are going to crank it, man. So I want you, you know, come on. Maybe, maybe you'll get to watch them come in a paddy wagon and drag me off. I hope some of you will come visit me in jail. Because that's what it sounded like, is that, is that they're going to ban us from using the city park if we were going to have a worship service. Really? Okay. Sharia law isn't here yet. So, by the way, We're going to try to have a church activity. (laughs) So when we take up our cross and we submit to God's kingdom over my kingdom and the world's kingdom. Well, what if it costs you your life, preacher? This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. So come on. I got, I'm graduating. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my favorites, 
Hard to read sometimes because he's so brutal. He said, every command of Jesus is a call to die. <laughs> to die to you. To die to self. And to promote Him. Each command of Christ, we have a choice. Submit to ourselves or submit to our Savior. Every choice. Discipleship is costly. I recently read about a group of church leaders in the Chinese underground church. As leaders huddled up for prayer and training, one pastor stood watch at the door to warn them in case they were attacked by the state police. They began to tell stories. One pastor wept as he recounted story after story of people in his church being kidnapped, tortured, and tongues cut out. Another leader described how the government threatened to take everything away from her people if they didn't stop studying the Bible. After an hour, there was a circle of tears left on the floor. As we struggle, our struggles seem to be that we have a hard time getting to church, have a hard time making a small group Bible study, have a hard time serving the poor, or a hard time sharing our faith, while people are literally dying to get to any church. The tyranny of self is upon us and we must hate it. Throw off its rule and embrace the reign of God through Christ in our life. George Mueller said, The will of God is to have no will of your own. <laughs> Amen. Jesus said, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You see, the cross is a life-defining mantra we, we, we come back to again and again because if you've been around the gospel ministry for a while, you might object by the saying, I don't have to take up my own cross because Jesus took up the cross for me. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. He is saying every day you take up the cross of Christ and you walk with that cross. That is what you carry. The salvation of His Son, Jesus Christ. The, the, the salvation you receive because of your acceptance of that. You carry that cross every day. You make different choices. You make different decisions. You are different because of that cross that you carry every day. And the world should see it. No cross. The no cross view of Christianity dumps Jesus as Lord only to take Him as Christ. Savior but no King, Christ but no Lord, it would split Jesus in two. He is either King and Lord or not at all. That's not the Jesus of history, the God of glory. He's both Lord and Christ, Savior and King. And as Christ, He calls us to come and to die. And as, and as Christ, He shows us the way to make it happen. We must keep Lord and Christ together or we have no Jesus at all. Then thirdly, real quickly, costly grace. We've got costly excuses, costly discipleship, and now costly grace, which is why it's actually wise to follow Jesus. Because unlike Rome, the kingdom of God isn't based on brute force, but on benevolent grace. Unlike Caesar, Christ does what He commands He will do. Jesus takes up the cross and does it in a way that no one else can. The cross is an example, but it's also foundational for a whole new world. The cross gives us an expiration date, the empty tomb a resurrection date, and in Christ both happen at once. By denouncing self and faith in the Savior, we die and rise again in shimmering resurrection dignity to become children of Almighty God. 
So how does that take place? He suffers rejection for our acceptance. He swallows death so that we can have life. He takes judgment so that we can take grace. But you must come after Him. You must take up your cross and follow Him. Every command of Christ is a call to die. Every promise a pledge to live. Bonhoeffer again. He says, God's grace is not a cheap grace. It's not a cheap grace. I get so tired of buying products that are cheap, don't you? And you flip it over, where's it made at? In cheap old China. In cheap old China. We need a grace and a love that's bestowed upon us. Cheap grace is love of self in place of the love of God. Cheap grace is, is do what you love, not what God loves. Cheap grace is forgiveness without obedience, confession without repentance, discipleship without cost. Cheap grace cuts Jesus in two, but costly grace sees Him whole, fears Him, follows Him, obeys Him, because Christ is all and in all and through all. So what kind of grace do you want? Costly grace or cheap grace? What are you willing to pay? A life of comfort? Mere church attendance? That's cheap grace. Well, boy, I've got a Sunday school badge list running all the way down my leg. I about never miss Sunday school. But what do you know about Jesus? Boy, I never miss Sunday school. <laughs> gotcha. We must decide, not just once, but every day for a lifetime. But it is... Grace that we would, and it's by grace that we would know Him. Through grace that we would know Him. And what are we willing to pay does not procure our grace, it only proves our grace that we've received. This is no ordinary love, it's an extraordinary God. Let's take up our cross, let's renounce costly excuses in view of costly grace, for costly, priceless Christ Adoring discipleship. Father, I ask you this morning, my feeble attempt to try to get a message across to these folks, that God, somehow you will take what I said and wrap it in a way that they're going to hear it. They're going to receive it and they're going to respond to it. Because God, ultimately, the most confounding statement that you made in this Luke 14 passage is that we've got to hate our mother, brother, sister, our family. And that's not what you meant. You simply wanted us to understand that everything in life, family, work, possessions, all take a second place to you. And God, I'm fearful that there's so many who've gone through the waters of baptism. They've risen to walk in a new life and there's nothing new about them other than the fact that they go to church, other than the fact that they show up for religious gatherings. But Father, is there really anything different in them? Are, are they growing in their knowledge of Your Word? Do they even attempt to grow in their knowledge of Your Word? I hear people all the time say, well, I just don't understand the Bible. Well, then let's, let's stand down and study it and read it together. Well, I don't have time. I don't have a way to do that. I don't have a way to get there. Father, there's too many ways that we can get it done. But we'll come up with excuse upon excuse upon excuse. Oh, Father, would we be your children, committed to you wholeheartedly, using every gift, talent, and treasure you've put in our possession to bring glory to your name. I don't know who needs to make a decision today, God, but you do. Would you wrestle in their heart in Jesus' name? Amen. Let's stand.